Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Performance Through Health podcast. If this is your first time and you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. In this podcast, we talk about all things performance, stress, breathing, sleep, uh, just generally helping people become better individuals and live the life they want to live. Today, I've got Richard Burrows. Rich is a, um, he's over in Noosa, Queensland, Australia. He's a, he's a Oxygen Advantage coach, SNC coach, XPT coach. I think he's been doing a, a lot of work in terms of the breathing space. And if any of you have been watching the MMA uh, fighters at the moment, there a lot of them are getting into the pool and doing some kind of breathing work. And Rich does that over in Queensland. And it's something that I've really wanted to, to learn a bit about. So that's what we're going to delve in today. But uh, Rich, before we, we jump into that conversation and start talking about that sort of stuff, I guess just a bit of an introduction of how you got into breathing and what performance breathing is about. Going back to that 2014, 2015, uh, certain influences in my performance um, life collided. So we had um, Led Hamilton, who's always been a hero of mine, big wave surfer, started to to do some more, open up the world to his kind of training. Um, he teamed up with Brian McKenzie, uh, who's now shipped to Dutch at the time, Carlsbad Endurance. And I just followed a program of Brian's to get myself to a marathon over yeah, a very, well, in hindsight, uh, too short a period. <laughs> but, uh, so I was familiar with Brian's work, Led was a hero, and then um, they started doing some stuff with Wim Hof as well. And I also just listened to, to Wim's podcast with Joe Rogan. So these three coming together at that point in time just really piqued my interest and, and my curiosity in how they how they're incorporating breathing into their training. So for those who haven't seen any of, of layered stuff, there's a lot of underwater training. Um, and the methodology that developed around XPT, which is extreme performance training, was very much breath-focused and breath-centered. So everything was built upon being able to control your breath, being able to use your breath to change your state to access energy and that just really really excited me at the time so um, the following year my wife and I were doing a road trip in California and we're lucky enough to get involved with one of the very early XPT experiences in Malibu nice. and they say you should never meet your heroes but um, yeah Laird was just an absolute um, gentleman and a uh, yeah, had so much time for everyone who was involved. And yeah, essentially my first guided breathing session was led by Brian and Laird. So it was um, yeah, a, a pretty rock star introduction and <laughs> got, got me so excited to, to pursue it from there. I can imagine that was a, an amazing experience. I mean, uh, watching the XBT stuff, um, just the clips of it, it looks like an incredible kind of journey that you go on really to, to delve in and discover the next level of how far you can push yourself is that's what that's what XPT is about, right? Yeah, I mean, when you when you come up with these terminologies, I think in, in the early days um, they, they landed on extreme performance training, but it's more about the exploration of of potential. Yeah, so I've been I've been delving into some uh, signed up to shift work recently. I've been delving into exploring what they they do, and it's 
it's like testing that limit. And I, I love the, they're more about thinking about the story you start selling yourself. Like for example, this morning, the training was 12 by 30 second all out sprints with, you know, recovery between making sure you recover with your breath. And that's, that's a lot of high intensity work, it, but I had a poor night's sleep. And even, even before I went into the gym, I was already, I was already telling myself stories. I've had a poor night's sleep. You know, it's, it's, I'm not going to be great at this. I'm not looking forward to it. And then by the time I was at the sixth or seventh set, I couldn't hit the distances that I wanted to hit. I, like, uh, no, I couldn't hit the distances that I didn't when I'd previously done it. And I was like, oh, it's because I've had a poor night's sleep. And you start giving yourself excuses. And I think that's what uh, the likes that Brian and, and Laird are trying to try. I don't know if Laird actually is, is delving into that, but, but Brian himself is trying to really delve into looking at how the story you tell yourself impacts your performance. Have you, have you gone down that route and noticed that in yourself or the clients that you work with as well? Yeah, certainly notice it in the pool. Yeah. Um, and having, yeah, you know, a lot of the pool training is is un, obviously underwater, um, on a breath hold, and the, the consequences physiologically of any kind of negative thought are just absolutely amplified. So if you've yourself been doing any you know, static apnea work, you know that if you get off on the wrong foot and you let the, the negative voice creep mm. in, it just it spirals out of control really quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The same with not so much the static apnea work, but doing you know dynamic movements underwater or long efforts carrying the, the heavy weights. If you get ahead of yourself and, and start to to think about the goal. Um, or you, you give yourself an excuse or an out or um, a reason why you shouldn't be performing well, then your performance will, will trail off again. Um, it's a, just just such a, um, a brilliant, humbling element in the water and, and not, being, not, being without your, not being without your breath. It, um, it just forces you to... Um, stay present, stay in the moment, and just think about executing the skill and then making the next decision and, and not getting ahead of yourself and not telling yourself um, negative thoughts and stories as well. Yeah. I think if that's something that we don't really consider when we're, say, for example, if you're doing a, a set of exercise and then you're recovering with your breath in between, when you actually have that chance to have the breath, it's almost like you've got the chance to just tell yourself those stories and get yourself ahead of yourself. Whereas if you're you're under the water and you're actually holding that breath. If you start doing that, then you're going to have to come up. You're not going to be, you're not, you're not going to be able to finish, right? Cause you're going to be, you're going That's to panic. Right. Yeah. So what, so what's the, what would you say the main aim with the pool training is? And like, do you, if you were to take someone like a beginner's step through uh, just introducing someone to it, what sort of stuff would you do? The main aim we always say is to have as much fun as possible. Okay. The, um, you know, the, when you're down at the aquatic centre and pretty much every other lane is going up and down, staring at the black line and we're you know, jumping in and out and uh, we get a lot of looks and um, yeah, obviously it's the kind of training that you need to do with somebody because you, you shouldn't be training alone in this kind of work. So it's about having fun and you know, training with other people is the, I find the magic in that kind of training, which I look forward to the most and what I enjoy the most is just having fun and, and trying, being playful. Yep. Um, 
But in terms of you know, what we're looking to achieve with, with newcomers, it's, it's putting you in a position where you're not going to be very good at something to begin with. Most people can swim reasonably well, but give them a 10 kilo dumbbell and get them to swim from one end of the pool to the other. And most people will yeah, not be able to coordinate their movement properly. They'll freak out a little bit because they're sinking or they'll just think this is, this is totally weird and yeah, they'll fail first up. And yeah, failure is a, a good thing to experience because you'll come back to the wall, you know, talk through some, some cues about, okay, how can we improve that? Where is your gaze? Um, where is the dumbbell positioned to your body? How are you maintaining your streamlined position? Have another go. And then, okay, you're starting to get it. Then you can really dance on the edge between uh, effort and relaxation and, and calm efficiency. Because with the, the carries in particular, the harder you try, the more you're likely to come unstuck because, you know, as you know, increased tension and metabolic effort has a cost, which is rising levels of carbon dioxide, which is going to jack your stress levels, which will get that feedback loop of high heart rate, high stress, and you won't be able to manage as long. Whereas if you just dance on the edge of giving enough effort, enough speed in the stroke, enough power, but without really tensing up and, and trying to muscle your way through an effort, that's where the, the magic in the training happens as well. And you carry that into all other areas of you know, physical movement and, and training, realizing you know, what's, what's economy of effort, what does efficiency actually feel mm. like, uh, coupled with the mindset and um, staying present in the moment like we talked about before. Yeah, I mean, I probably three or four months ago, I, I entered a race where I was doing a run then I was doing a swim and then it was a run following. And I'd, I've never had kind of like proper swimming lessons. No, my, my parents taught me to swim, but I'd never actually had any learned how to do any technique or anything like that. And I've, I've been a, a power individual all my life. I've always like powerlifting, weight training. And uh, as soon as I got in the pool and started having lessons with Guy just to, to swim, he's just like, relax. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, I am relaxed. Like me thinking like my muscles are relaxed. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not tensed up. He's like, He's like, well, just feel there. He's like, when, when, as soon as he did that, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I had to drop my shoulders. And he's like, you can't muscle yourself through swimming. So I imagine it's the same as when you've got a weight in your hand and you, you know, your, your balance and coordination's all off. Trying to just muscle yourself through that, it's just, you know, it's not efficient. And you're just going to, like you say, you're going to burn yourself out more and you're not even going to make it to the other side, let alone finish the workout. Yeah, exactly. And you see that the guys who, who come and train with us for the first time, who might be you know, pretty handy in the gym and mm. um, pretty jacked individuals. Um, just the shift in the mindset that has to take place because they're, they're used to, you know, to come out of a CrossFit environment and you know, the way they attack every workout is that default mode of you know, maximum intensity, maximum effort. It just doesn't work underwater. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a really humbling experience for a lot of people. And yeah, anything which gives you an opportunity to reflect on why things aren't working in a different environment can only be, you know, help you to grow more in terms of your you know, human potential and your, your performance potential, I think.
Yeah, I think there's a, a a huge carryover with this sort of stuff. Even even you see it slightly with you know static apnea work and just general CO two tolerance work. You you can take someone who has reasonably bad anxiety to to a state of being able to manage that a lot better by just showing them that you know it's okay to be in a position of stress as long as you're calm in the mind. Uh, and you know, this is taking it to to the next level with with you know, additional athleticism in there as well. But also, I love the fact that you talk about the humility of it. Uh, taking a big guy and you know who has spent all his life being a high performer, and then you throw him into a, a an arena where they uh, they're being shown, hey, look, this is different. You've got you've got to act differently, you got to think differently, you got to be differently. Uh, that's that's a that's a huge learning curve for many people, and I think that can carry over into having the willingness to step into that unknown again and just go into doing sure. like trying something different and not being afraid to look, I guess, look a fool or look weak. I guess some people would, would term that as. Yeah. And I've experienced that myself pretty much every week of, of every session because you know, some of the guys who've, um, who've joined the training group, um, yeah, they've, they've, they've really gone to another level and, um, yeah, if you start comparing yourself to other people, that's another um, yeah, surefire way to undermine your own performance. Once you start trying to say, well, well, Tim got that far or Martin got that far on that length, if I don't get there, then this is going to mm. look you know, weak or I'm going to look, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be leading this session and I don't want to, uh, you've got to get past that um, position as a coach where you, you don't have to be the best in the group. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more about drawing out the talent of others and, and being okay to have a bad day. And particularly if you know, there's a, a toddler in the house who keeps you up half the night and you, you possibly have one too many coffees in the morning, then yeah, forget about being the best in the pool that day. <laughs> I'm coming to the, um, in my training at the moment, I'm coming to the realisation that I just haven't got the ability to hold handle the volume that I used to when I was 18, 19, 21. I'm not not old. I'm you know, I'm 33, but it's it, there's definitely a big difference there. And being over here in Indonesia as well, my diet, the amount of food I'm eating is is a, is a lot less. I wanted to lose weight, but it's a lot less. But being the critical judge of yourself, trying to compare yourself to who you used to be or who you could be, is is a a, a big. It's 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 almost like you you're creating a gap between the present, the past and the future. And that's removing your, but it could, could potentially lead to a story where you just you know, degrading your, your, your immediate performance because of that. And I think also I was having a conversation with my partner yesterday and she's, she's like, she's starting a new business idea and she instantly saying, but what happens, what happens if I'm not as successful as X, Y, and Z at it? Or you know, what happens if it doesn't work out? And I'm like, why are you comparing yourself to someone who's not on your journey? Number one, someone who's 10 years now in front in front of you or why are you comparing yourself to anyone at all like you know what happens if you if your business is successful enough for you to enjoy it 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 doesn't matter if whether you're as good as the best in the world at it does it like it's mm. it's your your personal journey yeah you're getting to live your dream in that moment and yeah your current self is not yeah where your future self may end up um you've got a you've got to give yourself a little bit of um, kindness and compassion sometimes, particularly if you're starting something new, that um, 
yeah, if you if you really love what you're doing and you're invested in it, then yeah, just be patient. Results come. Yeah. And I think that, that's something I've also come to the realization this year with my own training that I used to be very goal driven and had to have an event, a marathon, or when it you know, it was football season was coming up, okay, it's round one, we we want to be you know, doing time trials in this kind of time. So that was part of my you know, mentality and my personality was, was goals and, and focus, whereas now I realise we're just playing the long game. Once once we get you know, the other side of 40, it's um, as long as you're having fun and you're getting better every day, then you know, what's the rush? Yeah, and I think um, you know one of my mentors in the pool who's been doing this for you know, 17, 18 years. He said, "Yeah, we're going to be training like this for the next 30, 40 years. So what's what's your rush? Um, yeah, just enjoy it, and you know, one percent better every day, and just keep work on refining your systems, and the results will come." Yeah. So with this pool work sort of stuff, then. How, how how do you integrate that into say programming and, and a normal person? Let's say someone is training CrossFit a few times uh, and then they have pool work. Are you like how much out, outside of work versus in in the pool work? Are you are you do you look at like does it depend on the individual? Is it solely just a group thing that you're doing just to to have a bit of fun and get them involved? Like is there a I guess a methodology behind integrating that into your training? It's it's very um, informal at the moment, and you know, whenever we can get space in the pool is is one of the big limiting yeah. factors. You know, I'd love to be able to program you know pool training sessions three four times a week, but you know, logistically it's more challenging. Yep. So I see it at the moment as just a a really good opportunity for whatever your um, training style is or whatever your performance arena is it's just an opportunity to take a break from that and apply yourself in a completely different environment yeah um yeah so we've got guys who are spear fishermen or they're you know runners or they're swimmers or crossfit athletes so everyone comes with a, a different um you know set of strengths and weaknesses but you all just get the opportunity to just explore and play with it yep. um but what, I guess one of the great things about the pool training and doing you know, dynamic work and carries is there's very little cost on the, the body in terms of soreness, joints. Yep. You can do hundreds and hundreds of reps of a, something like a, you know, a squat jump or a skater lunge off the bottom holding weight, and you're not going to blow out your knees. So you can, you can really fatigue the body and train good you know motor patterns as well and get explosive but you've got the support of that uh, aquatic environment and mm. you're also getting you know, a nice massage from the um the hydrostatic pressure on the lymphatic system and the vascular system so you, you always come out feeling really tired yeah i was going to say you have a nap yeah but not broken which which is good yeah, I think that's uh, definitely important when you're, uh, if you are integrating it for long-term and sustainability, that's that sort of stuff. Um, you know, if you've got people who are still want to work out at 40, 50, 55, 60 yeah. years old, it's, it's great to be able to put them through something that's high intensity, yet not impactful. Mm. 
Cool. So absolutely. Yeah. So moving away from the pool training, I know that you also you you do some um, workshops and uh, like uh, ice baths and that sort of stuff with with people as well. So so with performance breathing, how have you been integrating? I guess the the breathing aspect into into uh, training and what what kind of uh, changes are you trying to help people create? Yeah. So essentially, the the workshops that I run are typically just a you know a broad um, introduction to the world of performance breathing. Um, so if we're thinking about the benefits and the approach that we take, it essentially comes down to, to learning to um, manage energy flows. So being able to create and, and use energy with um, the aerobic system and managing your state. So your um, mental, emotional, physical state. So I, I try and give people just a, a really experiential, you know, a little bit of oxygen advantage, a little bit of XPT, um, a little bit of dynamic movement, and and just get them to feel, hopefully something something new and different, and learn to start to, um, you know, be, become more conscious of, of the way they're breathing, um, what effect it's having on their their movement, what effect it's having on their state, um, and their ability to um, produce energy, and then typically the ice bath. Is, is what um, you know, draws people in. Everyone wants to, <laughs> but but for me, whenever I write out my my plan of, of what a session entails, it's like you know ninety five percent of you know, all the things I want to hit during the, the breathing and the training session, and then all right, um, ice bath finish. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's for me, it's just an opportunity to um, uh, put yourself in a situation and and use it as a testing ground, uh, an opportunity to um, be as, as calm and controlled as, as possible and um, approach that with a really good intention of um, of control. And, yeah. you know, I've seen, yeah, been doing this for four or five years now and uh, the, the approaches aren't always, I think, as um, uh, considered. I think a lot of people will yeah, approach it in quite a, a gung-ho way and think, you know, you're going to feel amazing afterwards and you've just got to get in there and do it and you obviously get your breathing under control. But I love to see people, you know, not spill a drop of water getting in and out, um, not, you know, doing, you know, rushing. It's a really yeah, conscious decision, a commitment. Yeah. Um, to go in and move smooth and, and you know, just take on board you know, the, the challenge that's coming to you and that instant arousal, that instant um, sympathetic nervous system activation and just being cool with it and go, okay, now what am I going to deploy to to keep myself um, you know, and achieve what I want to achieve, which is spending you know, three, four minutes in, in the freezing top water. Um, so I think I've rambled a little bit there we're talking about the, the workshops and um and the uh, ice baths and uh, yeah. I, I, i've seen a, a, a similar thing to you in terms of you know ice baths have become very popular and i think the novelty sort of thing of it is uh is one of the things that draws people in the the you know the, the fear factor or am i going to be able to do it like the challenge itself and 
you yeah. kind of, I've kind of noticed once people have done it a, a few times, they start to drop off from your workshops and, you know, there's like, okay, well, I've, I've, I've done that now and there's, people don't really want to commit long-term to it, but you, you do see people, uh, like, yeah, jumping, diving into there and dunking themselves and, and you're like, mm. isn't this taking the point away of this is a controlled, exactly. uh, stable kind of environment that like, I, I really like to get people in the zone like you, like just slowly put your feet in, enter as slow as you can get all the way up to your necks and like, and try mm-hmm. and keep yourself calm through, like, Try not to yep. allow that response to to kick in, take control of it. And yes, some people can't because they're not not able to. But then you're there to help mm. them regulate. But yep. uh, yeah, I've, I think it's there's a lot of people out there who are just doing it as a like, oh, it's a cool thing to do, but not yep. really understanding the background of that sort of stuff. But there was something you touched on earlier that I, I wanted to delve into. And you're talking about how a breathing, breathing, and movement interplay with each other and it's that's that's although i understand it that you know you can't you can't move properly if you can't really breathe breathe properly but that's as much as i've gone could could you delve a bit more into i guess the concept of movement and breathing how they interlink with each other yeah this is for me this is a new area that i'm i'm really Mm. i'm trying to peel back the layers on because yeah it's i don't think it's really taught or I haven't come across anyone who um, is a really a subject matter expert. Um, well, what's, your, what's your grasp life. on it then, I guess? Yeah. So, yeah, obviously we breathe for a number of different reasons for you know, respiration um, and as work demand increases. But also, you know, we're stabilising uh, the spine, particularly under load. Um, we're also generating power and force um you think about tennis players or you know martial artists there's that powerful exhale on the um the moment of of power um so that says to me there's there's an optimal um if you think about the four corners of breath being inhale hold um, exhale and pause there's an optimal corner for every activity Mm. so whether it's um producing the, the power and exhaling forcefully, or it's um, bracing in a, um, a position before creating the, the, the power. So inhale, hold, or bracing under load, inhale, hold. Um, and then moving between those, those positions uh, as well and, and sequencing in the inhale at the most appropriate time. And then for performing fine motor skills or making decisions, that, that pause at the bottom. When you think about, you know, biathletes or archers or pistol shooters, they're all pulling, squeezing the trigger at that moment of pause at the bottom. And that's where we, we get the most, most stillness. So, mm. yeah, it's something I'm, I'm trying to um, codify. And every time I'm in the gym, I'm thinking about, okay, this movement now, what's the, what's the optimal um, pattern of breathing to match this, um, and at the same time meeting your metabolic metabolic demands. Yeah. So it's, it's a real dance, and it's it's a real um, yeah, endlessly fascinating. Yeah, I think I'm a, I'm in the same place as you. It's it's consciously in my mind when I'm doing a movement where I'm like, okay, if I'm doing a thruster, should I be in, in, inhaling on the way down and exhaling on the way up? Like, uh, can I? Am I able to keep that rhythm? Like, if I'm not able to keep that rhythm, like should I go with my breath? Should I keep my mouth closed and like, you know, let my nose dictate the pace that I'm moving? 
they're, yeah. all, they're all things that I'm playing around with at the moment. And I think that's where there's the fine line again between, okay, well, I could probably move faster, but then my breathing's I'm not going to be able to consciously control my breathing or, or I might, mm. you know, I might have to start opening my mouth and it's like, it's drawing at that level. And I guess the goal of your session is that you're trying to perform, you're trying to adapt. Uh, and are you, or are you able to just, are you just trying to keep a, a sustained level of fatigue? Now, if you're doing an AMRAP of uh, 24 minutes or something like that, and it's, and it's probably best to just go at conservative pace for the whole 24 minutes rather than go as hard yeah. as you can and die off. It's like, those yeah. are all considerations that we have to take, I guess. And that's where the movement and the breathing integrate together. Yeah, and the intention of the, like you touched on the intention of the session, you know, are you on the, the competition floor at the CrossFit Games and needing to completely max out and get the best possible time, you know, optimize performance, or are you um, building quality movement patterns and, you know, a aerobic adaptation? You know, unless you have a, a strong intention and, and purpose behind whatever you're doing, then it's very difficult to match the, uh, the approach to it after the fact for sure uh okay uh, let's uh delve a little bit into co2 tolerance this is uh something okay. that i guess in your in in your training or the training that you're, you're doing with people what's what's the um what is it that you're trying to do in developing CO2 tolerance? Like there's some people who are looking at it and going, okay, this is going to be better for your performance. There's some people are talking about how it's going to be better for just uh, state management. Where, where, where have you gone with that? And, and uh, yeah, just delve into that a little bit, I guess. Yeah, a little bit of both, I think. I think it's yeah, the, the, ben- the benefits being, you know, as you mentioned, um, you're learning to experience yeah, a little bit more stress and, and getting comfortable with that um, yeah, slightly icky feeling of, of higher CO2 translates into you know, managing your state when things go pear-shaped in the office or on the road or wherever it is. Um, but then, yeah, obviously the um, performance side of things, just being getting people into a, a position where they understand what it's like what it feels like to produce the same results with less work hmm. and to stay aerobic at higher intensities. And because, you know, so many people train in a, in a manner in their one hour a day where, um, you know, they're trying to go as hard as they can to, you know, succeed at the workout or win the workout, but you're just layering more stress on whatever you've got. Yeah, in the other parts of your day. So, um, yeah, the objective shouldn't be to, to win the workout. And one of yeah, my, my favourite um, slogans, I think it was, um, I first said it from um, Rob Wilson at um, the Art of Breath Seminar is, yeah, are you adapting or are you just getting better at suffering? Because a lot of people just mm-hmm. leave the adaptation um, on the table and just bear that suffering and you see it a lot in the CrossFit world and I, mm. I don't want to you know, sort of crap on CrossFit because it's, it's been a big part of my life for the last decade but um, that we're wearing the suffering like a, a badge of honour or um, as that shared bond with that community I think it's um, ultimately detrimental you, if, if you are constantly suffering and collapsing in a heap at the end of every workout, 
yeah, there's only so much of that you can take. Yeah. And um, whereas if you, you know, maybe back off a little bit, but, you know, work with good breathing mechanics and, you know, try and limit to uh, nasal-only breathing and then notice that your, your performance you know, gradually inches up and you walk out the door with a smile on your face and a string in your step, then to me that's... Uh, that's a lot more satisfying and a lot more, you know, it's, it's the long game of, of health and fitness. So um, getting people to realize that that's available to them with some breath control and um, building their tolerance to carbon dioxide. And for most people, it's just, you know, trying to stick with the nose at higher intensities. It doesn't have to be, you know, max out. Um, intervals on an exhale hold and <laughs> feeling blue in the face. Um, but if you want to go to that, then happy to take you there as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I look at the way I used to train when I was 19, 20 years old. Um, I was at university and I'd be doing a leg session and I'd go to someone, tell me a number between 300 and 500, and they'd say a number. It's like, okay, well, that's how many reps I have to complete in the whole session. And then it would be like, okay, well, I'm going to start off with squat and I'm going to see how many reps I can do on like a, you know, a 60 or 70 kg squat for one set and just do that and just keep doing that set after set until I hit like, you know, two, 300 and then I'll do leg extensions and same. And it was, it wasn't adaptation because every week I wasn't progressing in terms of like overload and like, I wasn't allowing any pace dictate. It was literally just, okay, how much can I endure? And that resulted in me having screwed up hips, uh, like, uh, you know, issues with like problems in my back and stuff like that. When I got to 25, 26, I could hardly walk because I was training mm. that all the time. And I see it over, over in Perth, there's a couple of um, personal trainers who are known to be like, you know, they work you hard and he gets, the, he, yeah. gets a, he gets a lot of female females come in and because they kind of like that in, the excitement of like them on the floor, they're going to die at the end of the session. And it's like a bit for Again, it's a bit fearful. And it's, it's like, mm. you know, these are trying to, he's trying to get these into to do like bikini competitions and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is just not beneficial for them. <laughs> let alone not having the, like the, no, the hormonal, a base as a female to be able to, to, to do that, like consistently without damaging some kind of yeah. their, their body or their, their menstrual cycle or something like that. Um, and I think uh, the grasp that I've got, and it's similarly what you're saying is that if you keep your mouth closed, just almost you're, you're allowing your nervous system, which is at the core of your energy to dictate how much input you can put into a session. And when you learn to that, when you learn that, it's like, okay, well, now you can know your boundaries and you can say, okay, well, next session, can I just push it that slight more? And yeah. then you look, you look back to where you were six, eight weeks ago and you're like, okay, well, actually, I can do a lot more now with my mouth closed than I was. And that's when you know you've adapted to change rather than suffering. Mm. And the, the subtle messages which your your body is telling you as you're working and i know you've touched on in, in previous conversations that that concept of interoception mm. just being far more attuned to what little yeah you know, increases in your know, output how that what, what consequences you you reap as as a as, as for the engine or for you know the muscles uh, allows you to dial in your your understanding of what you're doing to yourself a lot faster and a, a lot more uh, specifically. Whereas when you go, you know, balls to the wall and just, you know, you know, try and muscle your way through every session, you're not you, you don't develop that 
that intuition around you know where the boundaries lie between you know, here's aerobic and here's anaerobic or you know um, this is what I can maintain for you know, X amount of minutes or you know, this is where I potentially might injure myself. So yeah, it allows you to, to tune into yourself a lot better when you um, you know, take that approach to training. Yeah, it's it an internal thing. I remember when I first started doing the shift adapt stuff and uh, doing, I think I was doing some rowing and it was maybe like eight sets of 500, 500 meters with a, you know, a minute or two rest in between on the rower. And I remember when I hit like fourth or fifth, like I was trying to do it so that my, I was inhaling on, on the way of coming in and exhale on the push and keep just allowing, allowing my uh, stroke rate just to stay with my breath. And I found it, if I closed my eyes, it was like meditative. And what kind of happened was that the time period that I was, uh, you know, the number of meters that I had left on the clock was going a lot faster than it would if I was just staring at the clock. But then when I came to the point where I was uh, starting to feel more fatigue in my legs and I started to tell myself the story that, you know, it's starting to hurt now. And I was opening my eyes more and time slowed down again. And it yeah, was, yeah. it was kind of like really interesting again, being, having that internal awareness. It's almost like having that, mm. that meditative, uh, part of it that where it's like, you know, we're talking about interoception. It, it's, it's being aware of the sensations in your body, what's going through your mind. Mm. That's a different approach to performance that we've never really seen before. No. And, and you, you talk about, you know, closing the eyes and, um, visual stimulus you know, has, a, has a huge part of, um, and, and where you you focus your vision, um, communicating to the nervous system about you know, the states and, and you know, your nervous system um, sort of dominance. Uh, same with auditory as well. If you've ever um, tried doing a similar thing with not only eyes closed or eyes um, mask, and then put in something like a binaural beat, which mm. drowns out any kind of um, auditory uh, stimulus as well. And tape your mouth shut, and um, you know, do it on the assault bike sometimes. Yeah. And uh, the first time I did it, I forgot to um, close the garage door, so I'm there on the bike with earphones in, um, eyes closed, mouth taped, trying to maintain a, a breathing cadence. I thought to myself, if anyone could just wander up the driveway here and um, <laughs> you just pinch pinch anything out of the garage, so uh, <laughs> maybe. Be aware of your surroundings before you start. No, that's that's super interesting. So you actually fully, uh, actually, I saw that on social media a few days back. So you fully close off in terms of, like, you, you can't see anything, can't hear anything, mouth to, and you're just literally feeling the sensation of the breathing and the intensity in your body. Like, what sort of experience yeah. does that, that feel like? What's it, what's it, do you start to yeah, see, do you see visuals more and, and do you see the story more of you, you creating? Yeah, visuals, um, definitely. It's um, I found it quite uncomfortable the first time I did it mentally. Yeah, I can imagine you would. I, I, the, the first time I did it I was a 20-minute uh, a effort, which can seem like a very long time with eyes closed and binaural beats because you, you sort of lose um, that tether of, of where you are in time and space on, on the workout, usually on the, your soft bike, you, you've got that clock ticking up and you, you know what your, um, your wattage output is doing. Um, but in tuning into those things, you, I guess you lose a little bit of ability to tune into 
became so much more um, clear. Yeah. I was really aware of, of where it was. Um, and then, yeah, trying to, um, yeah, not succumb to the, uh, the, the negative or the, the discomfort in mentally about, you know, where are we? Are we at the 10 minute mark or are we at the, yeah. are we still only at the 14 minute mark? And, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a, and, and, you know, maintaining the same level of output and, and, and pushing consistently through the, that, uh, that position of, of not knowing is, was, was quite a challenge. Yeah, I found that again. Going back to uh, just the keep having, yeah, having your eyes closed, the lesson of that you learn of like being comfortable with not knowing, especially in terms of like when you start to feel that pain, and you mm. and, like that starts creating those thoughts. Okay, how long have I got left? But when you actually can't see, it's it's uh, I guess a philosophical kind of message taken away is like getting comfortable with just not knowing, just sitting with pain and suffering despite knowing, not knowing, you know, it's going to come to an end, but how long is it going to come to end? Yeah. I guess that's also similar to the way I approach the the cold exposure. Yeah. So whenever I'm coaching someone through that that situation, I say, okay, the goal is is three minutes. And um, yeah, if anyone ever says to me, uh, how long to go? We'll get there when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, that, that's irrelevant for you. Uh, that's not going to help you. Um, what's going to help you is um, tuning into your internal state, slowing your breathing. So um, yeah, as cruel as it can be for some people, by um, just keeping them, them hanging, I'll, uh, I'll never tell them where we're up to. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like the lesson. I like it. Cool. All right. So one question, one last question that I ask everyone before we, um, uh, before we close up is, well, especially people that are obviously in a breathing space is, I guess if you were to have someone that was just starting on their breathing journey, not, not, not a coach, but like an individual who wanted to start it, what, what advice would you give to them? I think in the early days I made the most, um, progress or the, mo- the most leaps of, of awareness and understanding, when I, I set aside a specific time um, without distraction and played. So I would highly recommend anyone who wants to start playing around with, with different um, cadences and timings, find music which works for you. And music is always a huge part of my workshop. And I've refined and cultivated a playlist over the years which matches really well with what we're trying to do but yeah it's different for everybody and so use music be consistent play with it and and get comfortable with counting and i think yeah it's it's a simple thing to um to do to start off with but if you get some conscious awareness of you know what my long extended inhale count usually feels like um counting through a, an inhale hold, counting through an exhale hold, you start to build a real, a much stronger awareness of of the nuances of it because it is a really subtle thing. So something as simple as, as counting through all those phases will give you some, some conscious awareness of, of how you're tracking. Um, yeah, because it's, it's something which you can't really see and touch breathing. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really internal dance with yourself. So 
using music and counting and um, being consistent are my, my three top tips. I love that. Players. I love that because uh, I love music. I was a DJ for a, for a fair few years and I've, I've been trying now to see how I can integrate music and breath work together. Um, and accounting something that I do is like maybe for the first six, four to six weeks when people are starting doing some breathing stuff with me, it's like it would be a count, but then, okay, when I'm getting towards the end, it's like I want you to start using your intuition of the breath rather than, mm-hmm. rather than the count, which goes with what you were saying. Uh, and anyway, consistency is, is the number one key for, for, for anything that you want to want, want to get some adaptation and get used to hey, and have it as a, great as a habit. So awesome. Thanks, Rich. Um, I guess the, the, the final comments for you, from, from you is that if people want to reach out to you to, to learn more, or if anyone wants to, um, to get in touch, how do they, how do they do that? Yeah, I'm really good on the email. So, uh, rich at performancebreathing.online is the, uh, the go-to there. Uh, the website of the same domain, performancebreathing.online, tells you a bit about the, the approach we take and um, the fun we have with all the, the different modalities. Um, or on social media, uh, Rich J. Burrows on Instagram. I'm, uh, I'm trying to be more active uh, as much as, you know, it's a, a double-edged sword, the old, the old socials. I'm, I'm trying to um, get more out there and, and sharing the experiments and um, the thought processes that, that go into what we do. Um, so yeah, shoot me a message. Always happy to chat, answer questions, um, and yeah, I would obviously learn as much from the people that I engage with as vice versa. So the more people we connect to and um, the broader the conversation gets, the more we all win. I think. Awesome. Thanks very much, Rich, and thank you all for for tuning in.